hello everyone and welcome back to reflect forward as you remember reflect forward isn't your everyday leadership podcast this show is about exceptional leadership and game-changing leadership before i tee up my guests i thought i would tell a little story so this weekend i was watching a bug's life with my son and the greatest quote came up and that was first rule of leadership everything is your fault and I love that quote. I think that pretty much sums up leadership uh, to a T, at least wanting to be a good leader. If you take the approach that everything is your fault, uh, then you can actually do something about it. And so uh, it's always amazing what you can learn from from children's movies. And, and I had a long talk with my son about accountability and how to not blame. Uh, it seems like that's such a kid thing to do, right? I guess even an adult thing to do to blame somebody else for your situation. So I just thought I would share that kicking off this first uh, interview that I have coming up is the first rule of leadership. Everything is your fault, something to ponder. I also wanted to talk a little bit about this cool new tool that LinkedIn is coming out with is LinkedIn stories. Uh, much like Instagram, you can post minute by minute updates of your leadership journey. And so I am totally going to try it. I am an Instagram newbie. You can follow me if you're interested at Carrie Siggins. Uh, but I, uh, I'm trying to figure out how to do this whole social media thing outside of LinkedIn. So I am very excited about LinkedIn stories. And so please stay out on the look, lookout. I'm going to do a theme of the week and do a little bit of a journey uh, through stories, uh, video stories. So anyway, pay attention. Uh, that'll be coming out soon. I'm super excited about it. If you want to find out more, you can go to businessinsider.com and they have a great article on what you should do with LinkedIn stories. All right. So now it is time to tee up my guest, uh, my very first guest for my inaugural, uh, podcast. And it's Chris Larkins. He's my executive coach. He is a partner at CEO Coaching International. And he is a phenomenal leader and coach. I have learned so much from him by working with him for the past several years. And it's very fitting to have him on as my first guest because he will share all kinds of insights and tips on how to be a truly exceptional leader and what trips leaders up and, and all kinds of advice that he gives the executives he coaches who are on a journey to be the very best leaders that they can be. So hang tight and we'll be right back and I'll introduce you to Chris. Welcome back everyone. I'm pleased to have my good friend and executive coach Chris Larkins on the inaugural episode of Reflect Forward. Chris is a partner at CEO Coaching International and has held several CEO president roles at companies like Prime Communications and Nubasis. Chris is a fellow YPOer, and for those of you who are unfamiliar with YPO, it stands for Young Presidents Organization, and it's a global membership-based organization for young presidents and CEOs who share in the belief that the world needs better leaders, very much like I believe. Chris is in the Orange County chapter, and I'm in Colorado. I met Chris when I put out a call on the YPO discussion board looking for an exceptional executive coach. To be more specific, I wanted to Tim Grover. Uh, for those of you who don't know who Tim Grover is, he was Michael Jordan's coach and he helped MJ take his performance to the next level due to their shared drive to be the very best at what they do. I had just finished Tim book, Tim's book, Relentless, 
from good to great to unstoppable. And I wanted my own Tim Grover. <laughs> Chris answered my call and he has helped me become a better leader, uh, much more focused, uh, much happier, much more productive over the past three years. And I think it makes perfect sense to have him on the show on this uh, inaugural uh, episode because he has helped uh, me become a much better leader, which, of course, is the purpose of, of Reflect Forward. So thanks for being on the show, Chris. I really, really appreciate it. Hey, it's, it's, it's my pleasure. And I just must say I'm honored to be your first. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So why don't you tell us uh, about the path that you took to become a highly sought after executive coach? So you're ready? It's a bit of a ride. Yes, let's go for it. All right. So it, it, it goes, it starts uh, in manufacturing national business, uh, and it goes through several other sectors before ending up in retail. Uh, so let, let me walk you through it. I'll take you through it step by step. So uh, immediately out of grad school, I was hired by an American manufacturer to help it open its first international subsidiary in Santiago, Chile, with manufacturing, sales and operations, uh, and uh your headquarters office in South America. I soon found myself running that subsidiary company down in South America from the United States, but traveling there frequently. Um, and then soon after that, the parent company's entire international division with a presence in Mexico, Latin America, Europe, and India. Now, I, I continued at that company for quite some time, and I left, though, in 2008 to focus on turnarounds. It was about the right time. It was the right time for me to uh, start a new chapter in my professional career, but also it was good timing because it was 2008. There were plenty of turnarounds to do. I had done a turnaround at my previous company, and uh, I found it an interesting way to gain exposure and experience in other sectors. So I, I worked in consumer services at a design-build manufacturer and lots of other companies that took me on different paths. Uh, that led me, as you could predict, quite naturally, of course, to retail, right? Like all the dots just line up. <laughs> uh, uh, and and uh, specifically, it was a multi-state AT&T authorized retail business, Prime Communications, as you mentioned at the top. And I stepped in there in the beginning, <clears throat> just as they had uh, acquired a distressed portfolio of stores. And uh, my, my first you know, task, my first set of tasks was to turn them around. I mean, that was what my immediate pedigree was. So uh, I stepped in, built a team. We turned them around. We quite literally took them from worst to first among AT&T's community of authorized retailers in the Western United States. And then soon the entire company was leading the pack among AT&T authorized retailers nationwide. You know, I'm, 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 I'm on top of the world. Uh, maybe I owe royalties to Leonardo DiCaprio, but, um, you know, that, that, that's exactly how I felt. And then I got stopped in my tracks. I was diagnosed with brain cancer. Uh, and... It was right around that 600 mark. We were celebrating, you know, sky was the limit uh, in the middle of several active deals. And suddenly I found myself a uh, 43-year-old married with a 10-year-old daughter uh, thinking the world was ahead of me and having to contemplate that I could very quickly die. Uh, but the treatment was was pretty harsh as cancer treatment is. And, and it was not an easy recovery. And that really doesn't come as a surprise to anybody that's listening. Uh, but again, six years pass and the tumor never came back, but you know, the, the, the tumor itself caused me to rethink how I channel my intensity and my energy. And that brings us really to today and to what I'm doing today. I realized that, you know, conquering the world wasn't the be all end all, right? Like I could, I could do it in different ways, 
So I accepted an invitation from my YPO chapter friend, Mark Moses. You see, we keep circling back the YPO here to join his coaching firm. And I haven't looked back since. And for almost four years now, it's the most rewarding thing I've ever done. Uh, we, you know, I'm still, I'm still kind of riding a nice little roller coaster. We, we've tripled the firm since I joined. Uh, and personally, I now help over 15 CEOs conquer their own worlds. So it's just a different way that I'm channeling that intensity and that energy and that drive, uh, helping other people achieve what brought me so much satisfaction and and enjoy. Uh, but frankly, if it weren't for that that moment of being stopped and being caused to reflect, uh, I, I wouldn't be where I am today. And in a strange way, I'm thankful for that because it allowed me to, you know, do a nice inventory on my life and 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 a check about what I do and how I, you know, focus my energy. Uh, and I I believe I am more fulfilled doing this today than I would have ever been had I remained an operator. Yeah, well, I have to say I'm thankful for it too, which sounds strange to say. <laughs> well, hey, guys, I'm so glad you got brain cancer because I would have never known you and you've got True. such an impact on my life. So, uh, of course, I have a ton of compassion that you love what you went for, but but I'm glad that it brought you to, to where you are today. And I agree with you. YPO has been the best thing that's happened to me too for a multitude of reasons. Uh, and so I'm glad that... Uh, that the, the Leadership Development Network board brought us together. <laughs> yeah, isn't that the truth, right? Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and uh, it, it is strange when you reflect on episodes like that, and we all have them in our lives, right? It, it, it might be something serious like cancer or you know, illness of a loved one or a divorce or you know, any number of things that might inject crisis into our lives, but it's, it's amazing how those, uh, it's not quite a silver lining, but how those uh, episodes give us the opportunity to reflect and to learn and to do things differently and, and take ourselves to a place that we would have never gotten to uh, had we not had to, let's say, suffer uh, that, that, that crisis or that tension. Yeah, I agree completely. So tell us how uh, having brain cancer changed your views on leadership, not just on what you wanted to do with your life. You know, I used to equate leadership with conquering the world, right? With, with, uh, with actually getting things done, um, and and with the results you got, and and that's you know that is important, right? But those are the byproducts of leadership, and and it made me realize, you know, for the first time in my professional career, I really confronted a crisis, and it wasn't. Fortunately, it wasn't as much of a business crisis because the organization was multi-layered and was large, and and had multiple other people who could do what I was was focused on and continued to thrive, uh, but. It, it taught me about how to actually confront those times of even mild crisis or adversity. And, uh, and I think there are some tactics that everyone can employ and that I've, I've employed since and that I've counseled others, whether they're clients or just friends or fellow YPO members, as to how they should confront crisis. So uh, the tactics there, the, the first tactic really is just quickly identify what you can control. Uh, it's hard to do. That sounds like a really easy cliche bit of advice, but we often get drowned in the just the emotion of it all. I don't think it's easy. I think it's simple. Uh, it's hard, right? It's hard to say, I don't have any control over this and let that go. Uh, something like like cancer or dealing with COVID like we are right now. It's very, it's simple, but it's not easy to do. <laughs> you're, you're right. I mean, there were no shortage of moments when I felt 
why me? Like, yeah. I want my life back, right? Yeah. Like, why the hell did this happen? Like, this can't happen to someone. I'm young, right? Like, all of those things. And there, those are human emotions, right? And, and if you think to, like, just COVID, how many people were doing so extraordinarily successful, with that, especially in the, the restaurant, the hospitality space? Like, there, there are some areas that were heavily impacted here, of course. And riding a huge wave felt like they were conquering the world every bit as much as I did, right? Absolutely. And why did this happen to me? Like, what, what, you know, what, why did the governor shut down all the restaurants? Why did this? Why did that? These are human emotions, right? Like, and they're, you, I, I would be more, I would be scared if someone didn't have that reaction, but it's important to just quickly let that out, let it go and, and get rid of it. Like, for example, when I, I, I made a compact with myself that I was not going to do any internet research on brain cancer. I was not going to read any survival stories, I, you know, because more often than not, I found that when I heard of an example of someone who had what I had, they ended up dead. Um, and it, it, it was that didn't help me. It didn't help my mindset. And frankly, I had no control over whether I lived or died unless I decided to just kind of go rogue and not, you know, get treated. Um, so all of that emotion, I felt it. I acted upon it much more at first, but I quickly realized, you know what, none of that will determine whether I live or die. And so you're right. It's not easy. It just sounds, maybe it sounds obvious, but it's so hard to do. Right. Um, but part of that is just drowning out all the noise. Right. And then once you do that, once you know what you have to focus on um, and you're able to drown out the noise, you, you need to find someone to hold you accountable to that. Right. Like it, and, and for me, it was my wife, right? Like uh, this was a health crisis, but all I had control over was listening to my doctor and following the course of treatment to, to, to the letter, which also sounds easier than it really is because the temptation to say I'm miserable, I'm fatigued, I don't want to take this pill today is really, really strong. Uh, the temptation to like follow the latest treatment out of, you know, anywhere, right? The new latest thing uh, that isn't the standard of care is very strong, but just someone to hold you accountable. So once you know what you have to do, throw all of your energy, your anxiety, your frustration, your fear, even into that, into those two or three things, and just find someone to help you in those weaker moments, stay on that course and continue to fire bullets at those targets. Uh, so really what I learned was um, what was focused on leading in a crisis. Leading, leading when things are good is relatively easy. It doesn't mean that you don't fall into quicksand from time to time, but I think it's those adverse moments that uh, really teach you about leadership. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, I haven't suffered brain cancer, so all of my crises <laughs> seem well, yeah, a comparison, I must say. But uh, I have had the experience that multitude of times going through 2020 where I've had back-to-back-to-back crises in business and just having to be remain calm and say, what can I control? What decisions can I make now? You know, maybe freak out for a minute and then go back to cool, calm and collected and make good decisions. What can I control? But it's difficult. And I can only imagine how difficult it is when it's your life that is on the line, not just your business. Yeah, very good point. And, and uh, I know I know some of the uh, left hooks and right hooks that you were you and Stone Age were hit with uh, this year and they were tough independently. Um, and uh, you're, you're absolutely right. Just freaking out for a moment is human. Uh, but getting back to what it'll take to overcome it is really the mark of a leader. Well, I think that 
the reflection that I've done is very similar to yours as well. I have always equated being a great leader with success and achieving. And one of the things that going through COVID and the immense pressure and enormity of the situation and uncertainty of the situation has really made me stop and say, you know, what is it that I really want? And there can be, you know, dual goals and dual paths of achieving and growing your business, but also thinking about your well-being and that success is something that can be outside of that as well. So I think a lot of people have been faced with that through this. Like, what do I want with my life? <laughs> and yeah. is this path that I've been on really the right one? Well, well said. And, and, and that takes leadership as well, right? Like to just admit that um, it is time for a transformation. It, it, it is time to step out into the deep, dark unknown. Um, and, you know, that that's a little bit dramatized. I mean, some of those transformations may not be complete resets, but uh, it still does take courage to ask those questions. Absolutely. Especially when it could be a complete change of direction or when you're breaking down the story that you've built your life and your career and your success on, and it might not be leading you in a path that you ultimately want. And that is hard to do to say, hey, now this is <laughs> everything that I thought that I wanted and thought that I that I knew how to do might not be the path forward. And it can be even if it, it doesn't turn out to be as dramatic as it feels in the moment, it can definitely cause moments of panic for sure. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, the goal of this podcast is to help great leaders become exceptional ones. And I'm curious to jump into how you help leaders get to and stay on top of their game. So is there a secret sauce or is everyone's path unique? What do you think? It's <laughs> a great question. Uh, you know, I, I think there is a foundation that's more or less universal, so to speak. But by necessity, there's no secret sauce. There's no magic wand. Uh, we are all different. Our circumstances are different. The conditions of our business and our markets and our and just our unique value propositions are by the, you know, literally by the phrase unique. Um, you know, it, it although it's interesting, you know, I, I start every engagement by asking a client the same four questions. What do you want in specific and measurable terms? And Carrie, you'll recognize these questions. Crystal ball. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What activities do you have to do to get what you want? What might get in your way? And how will you hold yourself accountable? And so you, you start from that again, like, is, is that a secret sauce? No, I don't think so. I think that's just a foundation. But, you know, based on the answers, no single engagement looks alike. So... You know, and you can see just through those questions, what do you want? Like that could have myriad, myriad responses, right? Like what activities do you have to do to get what you want? Um, that's going to vary not just by what you want, but by, you know, what what market you're in, what industry you're in, right? Like what type are you B2B, B2C? Like that could vary just widely. Uh, what might get in your way? Well, it could be you yourself. Uh, you might get in your own way or it might be a competitor or, you know, just everything there. There's so many variables, so many independent variables that it's important to answer those questions, but they, they tend to produce a very, and it's one of the things I love so much about being a CEO coach, it just produces this rich kind of tapestry of businesses that even though they might be in the same sector or close to it, they're so different and it makes every approach by necessity different. Um, my job though, is once you collect those answers, you know, my job is to help a client get started 
you know, and figure out the, the best way to pursue the answers to those questions. You know, there are several possible ways to pursue the activities that you need to uh, do to get what you want. Or you might know the activity and say, I have no idea how to start or I, you know, wh whatever the, the, the case might be. Um, I hold people accountable to their own commitments, right? Like, so it's one thing to say, I have to do this activity. It's another to actually carry it out or hire the best person on earth to put on your team to carry it out. And then interestingly enough, it's also my job to help the leader apply key learnings along the way. So that, that in itself ensures that there's no secret sauce standard program, um, you know, because that itself, the key learnings themselves are different. And so even though there are some tools that I use across that are in common across many clients, I do that because I know that those tools work from my own experience, but those tools themselves will look different. They will be unique. And uh, the learnings from applying those tools may be different across clients as well. Absolutely. So I think about how I view success and how I want to grow to exceptional and it fits completely into the model that you work with me on. And that is, you know, what's my vision? How do I want to inspire? How do I want to make the impact? And then you have to execute. And that's where I think you've really come in to help is how do you put together a plan to execute on the very most important things? Because I tend to be able to think I can do everything. And, uh, and that's always not the best route to, to go. We want to be great at a few things instead of mediocre at a lot of things. And then it's the details. You have to care about the details. I was actually having a conversation with somebody who was like, well, why do you worry about the details? Well, execution is in the details. Yep. It doesn't mean that you have to know everything and be in the weeds and be doing it, but you have to care about the details. And then for me, finally, it's the not being afraid to put yourself out there. Like there are going to be people who love what you do and there are going to be people who hate what you do. But if you really want to make an impact and change, then that's what you have to, you have to put yourself out there and have to be willing to take those risks. But I think that answer for me is how I would answer, you know, what is the secret sauce, but it goes perfectly into, I think those four questions that you ask clients, because it gets you thinking about vision, what inspires you, execution and the details. And then you have to just get over the likability factor. If you have that, <laughs> and just lead, even if you, even if it doesn't, um, always, you know, even if people don't always agree with you. Yeah. It, it, yeah. To the extent there's a secret sauce, I think it's starting with that proper foundation. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's, it's even, even in that secret sauce, like my job to empower you or somebody else to actually carry that out and overcome the obstacles, some of which are predictable and others aren't, uh, e even, even that is different, right? Like, so, uh, j just trying to, yeah, you know, so, some people need me to pick up a set of pom-poms and cheer them on. Others need kind of a swift kick to the rear. Uh, most people candidly need both, just either at different times. Uh, but uh, it, it's important to get out of the theoretical, right? Like, so I'm, I'm highly suspicious of any plan, whether it's weight loss, exercise, business coaching, whatever it might be that just kind of says, just follow these easy seven steps and or... Uh, you know, in business, hold all of your meetings this way and you'll be successful. Like, I think those things are helpful, uh, whether it's in diet or exercise or business, but they, they're never the be all end all because they, they just don't they don't allow for enough uniqueness, I think, to fill in the gaps of what typically gets in people's way. 
I have to imagine that it's been really an interesting process for you to go through because as leaders, it's really, for as humans, I should say, it's hard to step out of your own way of viewing the world and recognizing that other people view it differently and do things differently. As much work as I have done around that, it's still really hard for me to see it, impossible for me to see it through somebody else's eyes. So I can imagine for you going in to this coaching role, uh, being a very successful CEO and having done it a certain way and now having to coach clients who are also successful and do it very different ways than what you've done, that you've probably had to figure out how to modify your style and maybe you've learned a few things along the way. Yeah, you know, it's very interesting. Like uh, the, the first transition was, and you uh, hinted at this, when I became a coach, the first transition was realizing I'm no longer in charge. I'm, I'm the coach, right? Like, and, and so it's one of identity. It's one of mentality. And, and it's a shift that, you know, as I've chatted with many other people that, that, that coach, whether they're with our firm or another, uh, it's, it's an identity and mentality shift that we all have to make. Um, and we cannot, or at least I, I believe this, I cannot coach people as if they're a clone of me. Um, there, there are things that I know work for me uh, that I encourage my clients to deploy, all my clients to deploy, but I also have to meet them on their own terms. I have to meet them in their own space. I have to be able to communicate with them in a way, you know, that, that, that resonates with them. Um, and, and as you know, I, I, I start with a tool that allows me to classify observed behavior and communication style. And there's a ton of important uses for that tool, namely, you know, how do you build a world-class team around you? Uh, but one of the, the applications of that tool is to help me understand how to connect with and get through more to that person. Um, if they're like me, I know I can speak from direct experience about the strengths and pitfalls of my own profile. And, and I know that my examples and my experience is probably going to resonate a little bit more naturally with them. Uh, and I can help them leverage their opportunities quicker I, I can help them know when to simply insist and maybe not worry about that popularity uh, or likability issue, right, that, that you referred to. Uh, and I can also help them avoid the pitfalls that I've experienced because there's some similarities. But uh, many people that I work with are not like me. They're not clones of me. Uh, and, and I need to coach them differently. I need to approach that differently. And even though I will always start from the premise of <clears throat> this is what I would do if I were in your shoes, I need to convert that often into a different style. And sometimes I need to help convert what I would do into either a language or a process or a system that speaks more directly to others. So yeah, that uh, I, I actually find it, I'm a people person, as, as you know, I find it an interesting challenge, right? Like to be able to work with people and I enjoy that diversity um, of working with different people uh, to help them regardless of their approach achieve what they want. Uh, sometimes it's a little bit easier when someone is, is similar to me in profile. I can think of a couple times when that makes it tougher though, right? Like when you have two people fighting for a microphone and there's only one, um, you know, you I know nothing about that. Nothing about that. <laughs> well, I, uh, I think that every leader is probably jealous of you right now because you coach clients the exact way that we should all develop our employees. But it's so incredibly hard when you just see like, all you need to do is X, Y, Z, and you can get from here to there fast. Uh, 
but not everybody wants that part of it. You know, they want to go on their own journey. And so how do you help them see that through coaching and mentoring versus being the boss? And so all of this talk around how do you be a a leader who coaches, uh, you're, you, you got to learn that front right now with all of this that you're doing. And, and if you ever did go into doing something else, I'm sure that you would be an even more exceptional uh, uh, manager of people. Oh, well, thank you. Thank Although, you. why would you want to go back and do that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, well said. But, but you know, like, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean, and, and, and I, I say this to clients, uh, you would know, because I've said this to you, you don't have to change who you are, right? Like, you, you need to be aware of who you are, and you need to be aware of how that is compatible or conflictual, let's say, with, with other uh, behavioral profiles. But it you know, one of my taglines is simply insist, right? Like, I'm, as you know, I'm, 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 I'm fast moving. Uh, I, I encourage people once they've identified the right path to move very quickly towards it, um, you know, and, and to have tools and, and other systems to hold them uh, accountable and objective so that they don't go too fast. But, uh, you know, if, if that's who you are, be that way, like be you. But you may just need to realize that people don't reach the same conclusions as quickly as you do. People don't see the way the movie's going to end uh, as, as readily as you do. And you might just have to ask more questions. It, it's not really a, a matter of patience. In other words, I want this done. I want to grow by 20% this year. I'm going to sacrifice that and compromise and grow by only 10. Uh, it might just mean that you need to, with your own people, you need to meet them where they are and help them develop the tools or systems or just, you know, just a, a, an environment that helps them be more comfortable that where you're going, you know, there's actually a destination, you know, there's not, a, it's not a dead end street. Yeah. Very well said. Very well said. What great advice. <laughs> Seeing you're you're giving all this coaching away just through my podcast. Everyone's so know <laughs> you just like me. <laughs> all right, so let's talk a little bit more about uh, your success. So you know, looking back on the growth that you have achieved and and the people you've developed and the success that you've had, what do you think that you did differently than other leaders? And conversely, what do you think that you did that was similar or the same? You know, like, uh, that's another great question. Like, like many CEOs, especially the ones that I've gotten to know really well in YPO and, and you know, the, the many clients of mine that aren't in YPO, um, I was always a voracious learner, you know, in, in, in mostly books, um, uh, mostly case study type books, right? So I was, I, I was less into the, uh, let me be inspired by a philosophical work than, you know, learning how X, Y, and Z companies were successful or, you know, not successful. So big fan of Jim Collins, as you might uh, uh, think there, but there were many other books uh, that were written in the same style that I, I just consumed frequently. I was always looking for a better way, a faster way, a smarter way to get something accomplished. Uh, and, and I was attracted in particular to disruptive approaches and, and I still am. Uh, what I did differently, I think, uh, and I think this this might be a lesson. It's certainly a lesson that I talk uh, to many of my clients about is, you know, since I didn't spend a, a lifetime in any single industry, I think I was always less wedded naturally to, you know, the way it's always been done. Uh, and, you know, that combined with some restlessness in my profile and the fact that I was this voracious learner that was reading case studies about how other people did things you know, I, I, I found myself connecting the dots from other companies like, 
you know, if I were, if I'm at a retail company, well, you know, this is how they do it in hospitality, or this is how we did it when I had an outside Salesforce. I don't care if ours is now an inside retail Salesforce, this worked there. Uh, and I, I, I feel like many CEOs find it a little bit more difficult to overcome that, not because they're not disruptive, not because they're not voracious learners, but because they've been in one place their entire lives. Um, and they, they don't have the same perspective with which to ask why or why not and, and you know, plow through obstacles that way. Uh, you know, so my, my, my recommendation there is not, you know, work for four different, you know, be a CEO or a president in four different industries, right? That would take a whole lot of time. But surround yourself with people from different industries. Uh, YPO does that naturally in forums and in chapters. But, but be deliberate about talking to people outside your industry, outside your bubble, learn how they're doing it. Even if you think it has no relation or applicability to your situation, I guarantee you'll learn something. Um, and even if you ruffle feathers within your company uh, or they think you're a fool because there's nothing that, you know, a concrete business can learn from Apple, right? Uh, do it anyway, because you're, you're bound to learn a lot. And there's a finite number of great ideas and successful stories out there. You, you can't pigeonhole yourself into saying, I need to find somebody from the lumber industry that had a really good way to do this. You really need to broaden your horizon. And I, I think that's what I, I did differently, but I was, I, was in, I was allowed to do that just by the nature of the circumstances. And what do you think that you did that was similar to to what other successful leaders do? You know, I I, I find that most leaders are fast acting, um, and and have the courage to trust their their guts. I think uh, I think there are things that slow us all down, uh, and they come from different uh, you know different directions. But uh, that that inner restlessness to want to do more and get more done and always find a way. I, I see not in not in every CEO, but it's it's something I think we all have in common. And maybe it's just that that unwillingness to take no for an answer, um, you know, to, to at least wait until someone tells you no three, four five times uh, before you give up. The relentless pursuit of yes and winning. <laughs> it's like just what compels us forward. Uh, I completely understand. I want to circle back to one of the things you said earlier about helping your clients get out of their own way. Uh, and I think that is uh, something that resonates with almost every human on the planet. Yep. I know when I get stuck uh, or I experience roadblocks, it's usually of my own doing. <laughs> so what advice do you have for leaders who just need to get out of their own way? Yeah, isn't that true, right? Like, uh, and you're right. I think it is. That's almost a universal trait. And it's you know, it's interesting, like, so we, we, we speak about, I spoke about those profiles and one of the dimensions, it's a multidimensional profile, but one of the dimensions of those, that profile is, you know, do even if you're task oriented, uh, do you tend to act quickly or slowly and deliberately? Uh, there, there's no real right answer, right? There's no good profile. There's no bad profile. It's circumstantial, but also they both have benefits and, um, you know, let's just say uh, drawbacks or weaknesses. And, and one of the blind spots of the person that acts slowly is they would probably say, you know what, I wish I had taken more risks. And the blind spot of the person on the other end of the spectrum is, wow, I wish I had thought that through. Um, so uh, either way, they're getting in their own way. It's just from a different point of view and depending on the circumstances. Uh, you know, I think the tools that help both um, are, are, are quite similar. Uh, you know, what, what, what I 
counsel with my clients is, you know, find something to ground you and keep you objective. Um, you know, and, and if, if one of the ways that you get in your own way is maybe lack of focus, right? You're too fast acting, you know, have a system that ensures that you're spending the right amount of time each week on the things that are most important. And then you can spend all the time you want on any number of other things, right? And, and Carrie, I know for, uh, you know, from experience, you use your micro achievements template very effectively for this, right? These are the key priorities. I'm going to schedule them out. I'm going to make sure I'm going to do them. Still leaves me plenty of time to do all sorts of other things that I love and that are important. Uh, but this helps me know that I at least get these things done. Uh, other CEOs, and by the way, that that, that helps people who uh, chase shiny objects too, right? Like uh, I, I'll, I'll chase as many lightning bugs as I want like around my yard, but I, I've got a checklist and I've got to do them. Uh, other CEOs don't get out of their way because they, they're prone to second guessing themselves and maybe you're a little trigger shy. And, and, and with those CEOs, I, I build a, a system that helps them feel a little bit more secure, right? Like you don't have to go out and collect more data. You don't need to pull more people. You don't need to make sure your team's on board. You've already done those things, right? You've already done them to enough of a degree that you ought to be able to feel comfortable and, and just see when it's time to go and to, to make a decision. Um, Either way, like I like to build a series of dashboards that allow you to breathe easy. And you'll you'll remember, I literally call them breathe easy charts because I'm restless and I needed to breathe easy. And so I can recall back several years ago, uh, having my team bring me, uh, this was the old school days when you did it on a whiteboard and you didn't have Salesforce dashboards that you do it digitally, but literally I had breathe easy charts. Uh, there was a whiteboard in my office that was grit, that had a grid in it. And you know the head of uh, inside sales would bring me her breathe easy chart uh, at the end of each day, which showed daily bookings and daily backlogs. So I could look at it and say, I don't need to go bugger. Like, what are our bookings? What came in? What's our backlog, right? I just had it there. And uh, what that breathe easy chart allowed me to do, or that that grid is it knew, let me know where to focus my time. I might be nervous for some strange reason about AR or about product development or you, know, you name it, right? Like how many sales calls my sales force is making. But if I had something there that allowed me to look at that and scan the state of the business quickly, I knew that, okay, yeah, there's pro there, there's definitely one or two areas that require my time, but it's not every area. And it's definitely not this other area. And I don't want to go bug this person just because it's easy and it feels good and they and they sit near me. Um, and that that was a tool that helped me get out of my own way that I use with many of my own clients. Yeah, I love that tool. We have implemented it extensively at Stone Age. And it was so incredibly helpful uh, as we started to go into the lockdown this spring because we had a very big backlog. And so it could have, it could have, we could have had a false sense of security about what was happening. Mm -hmm. I knew that our backlog was going to be able to get us through April and May. But what I was really curious about was okay, I know I'm going to have a drop off in sales orders and quotes and, but how, how fast is that going to happen? And how fast is it going to rebound and being able to have those breathe easy charts that my team had built, we could really start to see, okay, here's what's happening and, and start to predict out what we, you know, what we thought the future was going to look like. So if we wouldn't have had those things already put in place, uh, I, I think we would have, you know, we've been flying blindly. Oh, we've got a, we, this isn't going to affect us that long. Everything has to be cleaned. Yeah. So I'm really grateful to have some of those things. The other trick that you've taught me, especially since I'm one of those, 
I don't like to call it shiny object because it makes me feel ditzy, but uh, I definitely am an idea person and I think we can do lots of things is the whole conversation around, is this just an idea or a plan that has helped my team a lot and helped me, you know, out of my own way because I love to brainstorm and I think we're just brainstorming. But the next thing I know, someone on my team is going in and implementing it. And it was like, hey, well, that was just an idea. We didn't have a plan. Right. And uh, and I think that you helped uh, our team really see that. And I, I love those little tricks because if you can just find those, you know, two or three things, this is why I get stuck. This is when I start to make mistakes and put things in place, a system in place, and kind of like that safe word, is this a plan or an idea? Uh, it really helps you not trip yourself up. Yeah, and, and it's one of the ways I use that tool uh, that I referred to earlier, right? Like I can predict typically what the blind spots are gonna be of any of those profiles. They're, they're fairly predictable. And and of course, you know, I, I go through a process of validating if they are in fact, you know, the, the, the blind spots that not only the person's aware of, but that may, even if they're unaware of them, may be getting in their own way, right? So, but but there are a number of those hacks, depending on your situation and depending on, you know, the profile that you begin with that can help you, you know, if you need help making bolder decisions, uh, or even if you just ultimately say, I need help doing this, I'm really fast acting, I don't like to gather the data, and I'm never going to change myself. Well, then it's an insight that, okay, the way you're going to get out of your own way is you're going to hire a COO that is a little bit more deliberate than you. And you're going to make sure that she or he has enough of your time so that you are more grounded and can be more objective. And then in the things that you're responsible for as CEO, you can continue to be as bold and fast acting as you want. Yep. Yep. I love it. I love it. All right. So let's talk about uh, a little bit more about those leadership. Oh, by the way, before we go on, I'm sure people are going to be wondering what tool you're talking about. Do you mind sharing uh, what you use so people understand? Uh, give it some context. Yeah, not, 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 not at all. Uh, we, we use a, a multi-dimensional tool that, that comes from a company called TTI uh, that we are certified in. You know, so we've, we've gone through the training course and are certified to deploy it and interpret it. Uh, it uses a couple different sciences. One of them is is widely or, or widely familiar, let's say, uh, which is DISC. Uh, but DISC is often misinterpreted as a personality test. It has nothing to do with personality, nothing to do with skill. Uh, all DISC measures is this is how your behavior and communication would be observed and described by others. Um, and there are a lot of implications for that um, at, for yourself and for the team you ought to build. Uh, so we use that extensively with, we use it with every client and then extensively with uh, their teams um, and their key execs. And it, it's a very, it's a great way to understand, for example, is, is this behavior um, compatible with the job I'm hiring for? So the two biggest hiring mistakes I find are hiring an accountant to be your salesperson and hiring a salesperson to be your, your accountant. Um Hey, right? I did that. And you warned me, and I still did it. And and you're in great company, Carrie, right? Like, so, uh, yeah, if you hire a sale, if you hire someone who's built like a salesperson to be your accountant, they're going to be bored, they're going to hate their job, and they're going to quit. Or they're going to just annoy the hell out of everybody, right? Because they're so restless. And really, you need someone who puts on their green visor, works their 10 key, is friendly and compatible with your culture, but is is, is more satisfied by getting repetitive tasks done. Uh, and if you hire someone like that to be your outside salesperson, they're going to be discouraged by having a door slammed in their face and they're, they're equally gonna be miserable. My advice is don't hire miserable people, they don't get good results. 
And it's actually, there's a selfish angle to that, but I think it's really important people-wise. Like, don't make me behave differently in my job than I'm naturally prone to doing, or else you're going to make me miserable. And that's just not fair to somebody. And it's horrible for your culture. Totally. Miserable people should quit their jobs or, you know, I like to call them mindful transitions. Yeah. <laughs> Transition out because it's not good for anybody. Yeah. And, and, and look, it's a predictive tool, but it's like you can have someone who's built like a salesperson. It doesn't mean they're a great employee. Uh, there, there are other tests, right? And there's also experience and lots of other things that make for a great employee. But um, it, it, it's a powerful tool. The other side of the tool is a motivator tool. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily predict to, uh, you know, it doesn't suggest that it can read your mind. Like, I know exactly what motivates you. So here's a Jedi mind trick and I can convince you to do anything, right? Uh, it's what the big insight there is that, you know, I know Carrie is fast acting and is is extroverted and, uh, you know, I, I can predict all the sorts of behaviors that, that uh, I'm going to see from Carrie. Uh, if I notice that Carrie isn't behaving that way, um, the, the motivators gives insight to what might be causing stress uh, in Carrie's life, career, environment. Like, go figure, it's COVID. Like, a lot of people are feeling this right now, right? Like, uh, and one of those motivators is being triggered, right? Or being demotivated, let's say, right? And, and uh, helping, helping somebody get to the bottom of that, like the reason why you're not behaving like yourself suddenly is these motivators of yours aren't being fulfilled. You know, that it's not all bubble gum and cotton candy. It's not like just give them a hug and motivate them and they're all fine, right? Like sometimes they can't be motivated. The circumstances are, you know what? You've come to the end. Like there's no there's no motivating you here. Circumstances have changed. The market's changed. You cannot sell by inviting people on golf trips anymore, right? Like, uh, and other times it's, you can identify it, you can neutralize it and get back to normal. So in, in combination, that tool is spectacular. And, and I know we would not have the impact we have on people if we didn't use it. Um, in spite of all of, you know, the, the, the background, the experience, the relatability, this is just a very great objective scientific tool that allows us to go farther. Yeah, I love it. I love using it. It has helped me tremendously team build and, and hiring and, and all kinds of things. So I highly recommend, uh, I highly recommend it. Um, all right. So let's talk a little bit about traits. And okay. so does this come out in, in these TTI profiles or, or do you see like this is what success really looks like? These are the success traits that you see among leaders who are the very best that they do. Or is it mixed? Yeah. You know, there, there's a lot of traits. Right. And, and uh, a leader is often defined by his or her circumstances as well. Right. So like the, the traits that can serve somebody under some circumstances might be useless or, you know, counterproductive in others, right? But um, I, I, I find generally that courage, I know this sounds cliche, but the courage to make tough decisions quickly uh, is the biggest success trait. Like, so you, reflecting on this for a second, uh, it is important to make, it's important to be right. Like it's obviously if you make the wrong decision, it's worthless, right? But it's not just the right decision. It's the courage to make the right decision quickly. So once you know it's the decision uh, or either your heart tells you or you've been bombarded by data that tells you it's the right decision. Uh, those that make that decision quickly that find the courage or if they don't have it themselves because there's a likability or any other kind of uh, obstacle, finding someone that can give them the nudge or the push to do it, um, I find is 
common across every successful leader. And if I even think about the times when I wish I could do a replay, right? Like uh, turn back time and do something over, it's rarely because I did something too soon. It's usually because I waited too long to do it. Interesting, interesting. I wonder, I have to, I have to reflect on that one. What would I change? I usually don't. I, I usually am like that. Like, go forward. Every decision got me here, good and bad. So we're just going to deal with it. But uh, yeah, I think that that's really interesting. Yeah, and, and but I love that. I love that answer. It's it's courage. It, it's uh, it's not one that I expected you to say. So I love it. It's fantastic. Well, it is so true. You know, and and there's a lot there's a lot that can give you that courage, right? Like, so courage sounds like a soft word. Like it's it it is part conviction, right? But like it, it, it evokes certainty, right? Like, like, um, you're, you're not just going to do it because you're reckless, right? Like that's not courage. It, there has to be some degree of, of fortitude and, and certainty in the decision. And, and so it, it does require like you, even if you'd like to be as courageous as possible, you can't be as courageous as you'd like to be if you don't surround yourself with the best people possible, right? Because there's always going to be something you know, you're going to find yourself doing the director of IT's job because you don't trust that person. Uh, and that's going to de detract you from being able to do to take to have the courage to make a big decision because you're too distracted by something menial and stupid that, you know, should be a, should have been decided five layers below your director of IT. And it's because your director of IT isn't doing his or her job. Uh, so you have to surround yourself with world class people, but also the right people with the right traits to balance your own so that you can have that conviction. Um, but also, you know, having courage doesn't mean be stupid. Like don't wear a blindfold and go walking down the middle of the street. Uh, that's not courageous. That's just stupid. Uh, right. Like, so uh, be courageous, but have what, what, you know, I call a roadmap, a plan and a playbook, have the complete system. Uh, and it's a real gap. Many CEOs start with the roadmap. It's the idea. It's the sexy part. I've got a strategy, right? Like I, I'm going to go out and grow by 10% and I'm going to get 15 new customers and I'm going to launch five new products. That's the sexy part of being a CEO. But you can't just end a, a, a strategic planning session by saying, great, we're going to sign up 20 new customers. Go, right? Um, and and I, I think many CEOs think that, you know, just because they use EOS or OKRs or any number of other great organizational systems, and don't get me wrong, they are great. Like they're really, really solid foundations, all of those systems. I think they, they delude themselves into thinking everything will fall in place because I have a good system and my meetings are efficient and all my people speak the same language. Uh, having real courage requires that you have this certainty and the objectivity that you you know beyond your heart that you're making the right decision and are able to make it quickly and be correct. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So how about the, the reverse of that? What attributes or mistake caused potentially great executives to fail to launch, so to speak? Yeah, this is going to be so interesting because it's often overconfidence. Um, but, uh, you know, so I, I talk about courage, uh, but there is, like I said, there's a difference in courage and stupidity. Uh, like walking down the middle of the street with a blindfold is very courageous, but it will probably get you killed. Um, and uh, I think overconfidence that doesn't have that roadmap plan and playbook that I referred to, right? Like that, um, at least vet your plan or have someone on your team who can produce the plan and, and say, you know, look, you're right. Your conviction is right. And you can be quick and you can be courageous and you can be bold because we've at least run the numbers, numbers, we've modeled it out, it's attainable. Um, and so you need to temper that overconfidence. And, and I work with uh, many people where I have to be that, you know, ironically, I'm the 
you know, I'm the fast actor, but I have to be that check for them. Uh, you know, like, how are you going to do that? And how are you going to do that? Okay, well, how will you do that? And how will you do that? And, and uh, it's not that the idea was wrong, but sometimes it's just not fully thought through. Uh, and if it's not thought through, you can take any number of forks in the road that might lead you to an outcome you didn't want. The other trait that I see is uh, that trips people up. It's tripped me up. I think it's tripped up every human being is excessive trust in the wrong people. Um, and to some degree, that TTI profile that we've talked about will help you understand um, I'm investing trust in someone that's just not naturally aligned to do what I need to get done. Other times, it's just your, your own profile uh, equips you with a permanent set of rose-colored glasses um, that causes you to be something of a cockeyed optimist. And so you believe, oh, they'll get there. You know, all they need is a dose of encouragement and they'll get there. Um, and, you know, so again, having someone to kind of give you that reality check and to help you, as I referred to in your last question, ground you and help you be objective. Like, do they have what it takes? Have they had what it takes? We've been talking about this person for two years. You've probably been talking about them for five years before I met you. Are they ever going to change? I really believe that the least empathetic thing you can do for a person is keep them in a role where they continue to fail and probably wake up every morning wondering if today's the day they find out I'm a fraud and I'm going to get fired. Um, and have the courage, speaking about courage, to have a conversation with that person, find out, give them the benefit of the doubt, find out if there's something easy that would help them perform better. Usually the answer after that long of a time is no. Uh, if, if, if you feel guilty about it, bribe your guilt, be extra generous in the severance or, or help them find, right? Help them find their, something that's going to be more fulfilling uh, for them. But don't just continue to invest trust in, you know, a, a bottomless piggy bank. Yeah. yeah, I think that's going to resonate with so many people. I know it does with me. Uh, I've definitely uh, been tripped up that by that more than once, for, for all, sure. We all have. We we all have in life and in business. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. So I was actually just I met this really interesting person last weekend, uh, a world famous climber and photographer, uh, and he's getting ready to at a YPO event. Shocking. Uh, and he is getting ready to climb Everest in April on a route that's never been taken by another human being uh, with an, one other person. And I asked a question, you know, do you love climbing? Is this something that you love, love to do? And he said, what I'm doing is beyond enjoyment. <laughs> and I really, that really resonated with me because I think about that in the same way around being a CEO is beyond enjoyment. There are so many rewarding things about it. And the process is, is, is um, enriching, but it is hard. It is the hardest thing that I've ever done. And so it's beyond enjoyment, even though there are moments of joy uh, uh, all the time. So I'm curious uh, to get your thoughts on what do you think is the best part about being a CEO and what is the hardest? Wow, that, what a great analogy. Um, the hardest thing about being a CEO, I felt this all along, YPO helped, but it is really a lonely job. Uh, and I, I think your listeners will be able to uh, relate to that. Uh, you can't admit that to your team. Ironically, you're surrounded by people typically um, 
and you can't really admit to anyone. And the other CEOs, you know, unless you're in YPO or EO or Vistage or, you know, another one of those great organizations, the only other CEOs, before I joined YPO, the only other presidents and CEOs I knew were my customers and my suppliers. They were the, I had no opportunity to be vulnerable with them, right? Like I had to project strength. At the same time, like with your team, this is another thing that's very difficult. It's a lonely job. You have to show strength while displaying vulnerability. Uh, if you try and pretend that you're some superhuman, right, that, 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 that you are, in fact, Iron Man, right, like no one's going to believe you, right? There's going to be no relatability, you have no credibility. Uh, how are you going to try and help one of your people develop and overcome obstacles if you can't explain to them how you've done the same thing? Um, and that's so important all the way up and down the, the, the org chart, let's say, right? So it's a really tough line to walk. A lot of us trip along the way of trying to project that strength while being vulnerable and showing that vulnerability without being excessive. I, I, know, of, I know of a few who do a terrific job of it, but it's a real rare art. Um, and that, that loneliness you know, is why I often recommend that people join YPO, right? If, if they are eligible, if they are in the age range, join YPO, even if you don't think you have the time, uh, it gives you a community of others that you can learn from that are outside your area that you would never meet. Uh, but it also gives you a forum, uh, quite literally, uh, it gives you a venue to share kind of your deepest fears and insecurities with people that can relate to them because they have, if not the same exact ones, they have their own fears and insecurities and them, they themselves have no one to share those with either. Yeah. All right. And then conversely, the best. Well, it's all the glory. It's, you know, it, yeah, you, 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 uh, you know, the, I, I guess another part of the worst is you get blamed for everything when it goes wrong, but, but you do get to take credit when things go, go right. Uh, but, but I, I'd say actually the best thing about doing it for me, uh, wasn't, uh, look, I'm not going to lie to you. And, and if I tried to, my wife would probably correct you. Um, it, the glory's good, right? Like the ego's great. Um, I, I, I thrive on that. I think most of us do. Right. There are some of us that don't like the spotlight, but but I think many of us, most of us do. But that wasn't even the greatest thing, even though it was it was fun and uh, and, and I enjoyed it. The greatest thing was for me was just the sense of accomplishment of doing something hard, uh, doing something that others said couldn't be done or wouldn't be done. Or, you know, in my case, having had the what I consider the fortunate opportunity to lead companies in so many different sectors, being told, you know nothing about this business, uh, you're going to fail. Or it would get back to me that, you know, they're, they're saying, you, you, you know nothing about this business, you'll never succeed, right? Like that, and, and being able to, you know, it wasn't about ego proving them wrong, although I admit again, that felt good too. Uh, it was just knowing that, you know what, there's, there is a way to, to crack this nut, there is a way to unlock this potential. And the, sense of accomplishment of you know, that came from figuring that out and getting it done. And now in my current role, helping CEOs, even if they're new to an industry, have been there all their lives, just look at things differently and unlock you know, whatever it is that might be holding them back from a bigger outcome. That's what I enjoy doing as CEO. And it's 
what I get to do now. I so resonate with that. Uh, I have learned how to really appreciate being underestimated <laughs> because it feels really good when you win and not because you're proving somebody wrong at all, but because you have the belief in yourself to persevere and to put yourself out there and do it when you've been told to your face that you're not, you'll never be successful. And it is incredibly rewarding. So I agree with, I, I agree with you on that. All right. Uh, so we're getting close to the end here. Um, and I want to get your opinion on my name of this podcast, yeah. Reflect Forward. <laughs> so what does it mean to you? And why do you think reflecting forward is important in the journey to become an exceptional leader? I love the name, not just because it's poignant and catchy. It is. It's both of those things, right? But reflect forward is really the most critical part of strategic planning. Uh, and, and I hadn't thought about it in these terms until you coined the phrase. But it, it explains the essence of what I now do uh, and what I think is essential for success. I, I like the way it captures the way I think about this. Like you're doing both. You're, you're, you're moving forward and then moving back, right? You're like, what do you have to do now? And then you're moving forward again. Like, okay, well, where do you need to be at the end of three months? Okay, now then you're moving back. So uh, effective leadership and just, you know, producing big outcomes uh, if, if you're looking in the rearview mirror, you're going to run into a wall. And yet, if you don't look in your rearview mirror, uh, you're going to get in an accident, right? There's a reason those things are hanging from our cars. Um, or, or you're going to bump into someone parked across the street from you. Uh, I think we've all learned that by uh, practice and, and by experience. So I applaud you on the podcast. I, I'm not embellishing. I think it has the perfect title. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I am very much a believer that your past informs your future, but it doesn't have to define it. But the only way you don't let your past define your future is if you reflect on it. And that is a business decision, a life decision, a relationship, in all relationship decisions. It just... Um, and it really resonates with me. I have to give credit, though, to my good friend, Katie Bird, who came up with the ideas. We were brainstorming on a drive from Uray to Durango over Red Mountain Pass as I was telling her about my idea and trying to come up with a name. And she blurted it out. And I said, that's it. That's right. So thank you, Katie Bird, for uh, for brainstorming with me. Uh, it was all her. Well, thank you, Katie. <laughs> yes. And, and, know, right? and you had the courage to make a quick decision and the right one. In oh, I came home and I bought the URL was available and I did wow. a bunch of research and I own it now Good for you. <laughs> because I like to move fast. Yes, you do. And, and again, like uh, exhibit A, the courage to make quick decisions correctly. Uh, uh, you're, you're, you're the living uh, embodiment of that, Carrie. Uh, sometimes it's exhausting. All right. So the last question that I have for you, <laughs> and then we'll wrap up is what's the best piece of advice you have for leaders who want to be exceptional? Yeah, I'd circle back, um, you know, display courage and make those decisions uh, quickly. You know, in, in, in other words, play the part. Right. So I, I think back, there's, there's an old Volkswagen ad from the eighties and nineties, uh, on the road of life, there are passengers and there are drivers. Drivers want it, right? And there was flash drivers wanted at the end. Uh, your job is to drive. You are the driver, right? You're not the passenger. Um, and if you want to be exceptional, remember you are the driver. There's no cruise control, right? Like cruise control is just going to get you maybe to your destination, but you know, there's no joy in driving on cruise control. You do it to avoid getting a ticket when you know there's a speed trap. Um, that's you're not going to be exceptional. 
you know, driving that way. Yeah, I agree completely. Uh, display courage sounds easy, but 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 have that conviction. You can simply insist. Be bold with a plan. And if you get stuck or get in your way, just make sure you're surrounding yourself with people who can help, either because they can keep you grounded or they can continue to push you um, when it's tough. That's great advice. Well, I can't thank you enough for being my first guest. This just set up this podcast so perfectly because that's what this is about, is how do you go from being a good to great to unstoppable, exceptional leader? And every single sentence that came out of your mouth was so spot on and so helpful. And I really appreciate you helping me kick this off in more ways than one than just being my first guest. But uh, it was it was fantastic to have you on. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Gary. I thoroughly enjoyed it. As you know, I always enjoy your company, but the uh, the questions were terrific, uh, very thought provoking, and uh, I'm, I'm certain your audience is going to enjoy the back and forth. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So how can people get a hold of you? Because I'm sure everybody's going to want you to be their coach. Now. <laughs> uh, well, uh, the, 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 I can certainly be found on, on the web at, at our firm, uh, CEO Coaching International. Uh, we also uh, bought that URL. So it's www.ceocoachinginternational.com. Uh, you can certainly reach out to me anytime, though. I'm happy to give my email address, which is just chris at ceocoachinginternational.com. Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you again. And uh, that's a wrap. Thanks, Gary. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the inaugural episode of Reflect Forward. I hope you enjoyed listening to Chris as much as I enjoyed interviewing him. He truly is a phenomenal person and coach. Okay, on to the next portion of this podcast. At the end of every show, I am going to answer questions that I receive from people. Uh, so the first question that I'm going to do today, actually the only one today, I'll have more in my next podcast, is uh, comes from a, a good friend of mine who wanted to know, how do I make myself get up at 4 o'clock or 4.30 every single morning? He wanted to know what the motivational trick was. And my answer was, if you want to get up at four o'clock in the morning, or you want to get up earlier in the morning, you just have to get up earlier in the morning. And he stared at me and he said, that was the most profound answer and disappointing answer I've ever heard. And the reality is, if you want to do something, you just have to do it. If you want to be an early bird, you got to get up early never hit snooze. Just get out of bed the first time that alarm goes off. If you want to lose weight, you have to decide to eat fewer calories and exercise. You just have to do it. There is no magic pill, no magic trick. You just have to do the work. I think that goes into something that Chris said. So if you want to be an early bird and start your day off with a workout and a plan to have the most successful day, just get out of bed. Don't hit snooze. All right. That is a wrap for me. I really appreciate you listening and I look forward to uh, our next uh, podcast episode. I have another great guest uh, on the lineup. Don't forget to message me. If you have any questions that you want to ask, you can reach me through LinkedIn. You can DM me there uh, on Facebook as well. Uh, Twitter, you can find me. And of course, you can email me at carrie.siggins at stoneagetools.com. Thank you so much. Have a great day wherever you are in the world.